Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's your time to add up on the Ed Up Experience podcast, where we make education your business. We're doing that here in Raleigh, North Carolina, at the Engage Summit for Element 451. That's right, the Engage Summit. It is, uh, it is energetic, I would say. Um, engage! That was my engage button that I meant to say. The Engage! Summit here in Raleigh, North Carolina, Element 451. Shout out to Artis, uh, who is the CEO of Element 451 for bringing me here as I get to talk to amazing leaders in and around higher education. And I've got a returning guest today. Uh, he's on his own. He, he had a sidekick last time. He booted his side sidekick to the sidewalk, said he didn't need him anymore. Uh, I don't know how his sidekick will feel about these strong words that, uh, that this guest had for him, but we'll reconcile that later. For now, he's on his own. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen. He is Mike McGetrick. He's the a principal, creative and interactive service at Spark 451. Mike, what's going on? Joe, always great to be with you. Love your podcast. Love the energy. And Thanks, man. I'm really excited to be here at Element Engage Summit. There's awesome people here. The Element staff is always cool and fun to be around with great technology and uh, the customers. They're full of energy, full of excitement to learn and really uh, take this technology and implement it on their campuses. You just got off an hour long session talking about all sorts of things. How are you feeling right now? Are you feeling energized? Are you feeling like you need a sip of water? Are you feeling like, I know that up and down it happens. Uh, how are you feeling? I'm feeling very relaxed after that session. Oh, it's a great nice. session with a great crowd. Uh, you know, these sessions, they take a lot of work, a lot yeah. of planning. You want to make sure you uh, have all your details right and uh, have some good graphics up there and, uh, you know, making sure you're not putting any obsolete information out there. So, like, you got to cover the bases. Yes, yes. Always cover the bases. You got to leave your audience wanting more. And, in fact, I got to – well, first of all, let's start. Go back to Spark 451. Let's just tell the audience and remind the audience again, what is Spark 451 and what do you do? Spark 51 is a full service higher education marketing agency. So we help colleges enroll a class, whether it's an undergraduate class, graduate, continuing education. We help colleges and universities recruit students. Excellent. Um, we need help recruiting colleges and universities. I mean, you know, who knew? that we need help recruiting, demographic cliff, and so we've been talking about this a little bit. I had the chance to catch uh, a bit of your presentation, and one of the things that stood out to me, and I'm sure it stood out to you because I saw you go, oh, or you kind of had this moment where you, I think you were surprised actually a little bit. You, you asked the audience how many of you have done a customer journey map, a student journey map, and maybe two, I don't know how many, I couldn't see exactly, but there were not many people that raised their hand talk to us about journey mapping what is journey mapping what does it take to do it and why is no one doing it i mean just start talking and i'll start asking you questions sure so student journey mapping as we call it is a way of having empathy for your student audience understanding what their path is to get to your doorway to enroll in your school mm. so it starts at the very beginning from becoming aware of your school to actually researching it, inquiring, uh, the application process, the visit process, all the touch points that you might have with them and the feelings that they have along the way in that process. Ah! That could be one. Exactly. If you're not doing it right. And I think the very important thing in the beginning is for this, for this school to ask, 
how might we make this experience better? Just like any piece of data, it's what you do with it that matters. Mm -hmm. So understanding what the steady state is of how students get your doorway, how do they interact with you, where are they having problems, where are their bottlenecks, where's their frustration, and using that to be able to fix it and make a better process for them. There's an old movie. Uh, I think it's this movie. If I get the movie reference wrong, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. But I think it was Dude, Where's My Car? I don't know if you saw this movie. I have, yes. But they've gone up to the, uh, they go up to the drive-through and then, and then, and then. Is that how you start a customer journey map and you take a student through and go, okay, they inquire if you're lucky or we'll start even earlier than that. And then, and then, and then. Are you, are you literally... How do you do it, I guess, is my question, because you have a whole audience here that didn't raise their hand, which means nobody knows how to put together a student journey map. Well, it sounds like you're a pretty good expert. Yes, that and then uh, experience at the, I think it was a Chinese food drive through where uh, Ash, Ashton Kusher is ordering that food. Yes. Yeah, so that's, Nailed it. That's an exact uh, uh, good replica good of how that interview uh, process would occur. Yes. Yep. So we're, we're talking to students. We're really getting their story from the very beginning you know how did you first hear about the school and then and then what did you do and oh so then you visited the website and then you talked to your friend about it and you talked to your parents about it and then you went to the website and scheduled a visit all those interactions every touch point you want to be able to map it you want to have multiple students involved in that process so you're getting a little more precision a little more fidelity along the way and what's the artifact that comes out of this joe you might be asking i was going to ask that that artifact is really something that kind of looks like a map and it because you know a picture, are you sure i'm pretty sure a a picture does tell a thousand words in this case so some people put them out as like actual maps and they'll have you know uh, like a Candyland board yeah, perhaps exactly like a park and students are going through it and or an amusement park and, and some of them are scary rides yep. like the college application itself and some of them are the, you know, financial kid, aid. The, yes, the yeah. the kitty ride that's easy, like going on the open house tour. So there's there's a lot of different formats of them, but ultimately, I think what the most important thing, Joe, is that there's an emotion that occurs along the way in the student's mind, like how they're feeling in that moment along the journey. And you, as a college administrator, admissions counselor, marketer, what have you, you have an opportunity to influence that emotion and make them either feel better or feel more excited, feel more uh, greater anticipation. You know, you have that opportunity to influence it. Can, can you be good? You a marketer in higher education, are you really a good marketer? If you're not putting together a student journey map, is it possible to be an effective marketer or be a, be an effective marketing arm for your institution without that? student journey map or are they mutually exclusive? How do, how do you think about that as an expert offering marketing services to colleges and universities? So you may be familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I right? am a you little got, familiar. You, yeah. got, you got food and shelter at the bottom and you've got family and community and then self-actualization. Bullseye. So I figure, you know, it's kind of high up on the food chain, if you will. Um, to do a student journey map. You have to be fairly sophisticated in thinking about, you, you know, you got to cover a lot of, a lot of colleges are struggling to cover the bases, right? Yeah. To actually just respond to students, to get a website up, to get an event together. They're understaffed, they're overworked, they're overstressed. So this might be the last thing on their mind. Give me a break. However, 
it maybe should be the first thing on their mind in order to actually be able to do those other things effectively. So I would encourage you, no matter how stressed you are, no amount like strapped for time you are, take it back a notch and put that student journey map together and you'll find it pays rewards down the road for those other things you actually have to do and that are urgent. It'll, it'll actually make those things better. It'll make you better prepared for delivering a great experience rather than just struggling to get it done. You, when you asked that question to the audience, there must have been what, 75 people in the 75, 100 people in there? I don't know how many. And you only had a couple of hands raised. I wasn't sure if you were surprised. Outrageous. Or if you expected that. Tell me what went through your mind immediately. I was expecting at least a quarter of them to raise their hand and say they were doing it, maybe even half, but I wasn't expecting, you know, a handful of students, a handful of people out of 75. That was a little bit a Shocking, surprise, right? Yes, yes. Because you think about where we are in higher education, demographic cliff. We know colleges and universities are running deficits. They're cutting. I mean, we see, uh, if you read the news today, uh, West Virginia, R1 institutions cutting, I don't know how many millions of dollars in, in staffing positions and faculty positions. So it's not like we're in an environment where we should be surprised right now you'd think we were doing everything possible, running, blocking, and tackling, which to me, a customer journey map or a student journey map in this case, whatever you want to call it, is blocking and tackling. It's the basis for understanding the, the, the emotions your students go through, but also the barriers that they face and how you can remove those barriers. If we can't get that specific with our marketing, we aren't really marketing, are we? Are we hoping? A little bit more hoping than marketing? I think that's a pretty good take on that. And I just think what it comes down to is operationally, schools are running from one thing to the next. What they're, the heck is going on? Their their whole year is, you know, moving from one class to the next, one cycle to the next, one funnel stage to the next, application to admit, trying to yield those students, and then moving on to the next class. And they never really take a moment to reflect, at least uh, a lot of the schools that I've been observing, um, they just, so they, they need to take a moment, Joe, they yeah. need to pull it back a little bit and carve out a certain amount of time to get that done. Maybe it's the summer, maybe it's spring post deposit. Um, we know they're, they're doing lots of things all the time, but they've got to pull back and make that a priority. Another thing that you talked about in your presentation, you talked about lead capture, which the immediacy of, of, of lead capture is important, right? I'm an admissions person. I have goals to hit, whatever those goals might be. My institution has enrollment goals. I need leads to enroll students. I need those leads now. I need those leads next term or whatever kind of terms uh, academic calendar you're running. I need those leads next year or six months from now, a year from now. I need them two years from now. And I need them all. I need them all at the time that I need them. So there's a difference between cult, uh, cultivation and capture marketing. And that's where a journey map, I think, can help you getting back to the kind of rolling full circle on this is I need the, the leads I can capture now for the students that can start now. But if I don't start thinking about the intake on the other end a year from now, I'm not going to have the leads that I need to hit my goals. Cultivation and capture marketing is really tough because you only have a finite number of resources. So how much do you put in the leads you need now and how much do you put in the leads you need later? How do you, when you work with schools, how do you balance? How do you strike that balance between the now or later? It's a candy, right? Isn't it candy now or later? It's a taffy. How do you strike that balance between what, I, what do I have to do now to generate leads? What do I have to invest in for the, for the nurturing? Well, Joe, 
you know, I think the schools need to look at it like they need to do themselves a favor in the future. Mm. And that favor in the future occurs now, right? And that comes to, let's say, if it's a traditional undergraduate school, cultivating sophomores and juniors when they're sophomores and juniors. and, and Really? Making them aware of that institution, getting them on the radar, getting them to join your mailing lists, uh, inquire, attend open houses early. Um, and, and then that cultivation has to occur over a period of time. You know, school students are making short lists while they're sophomores. And if you're not on that short list, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to. The list doesn't get longer. Typically, it just gets shorter. Yeah, you're not going to catch up as a senior. So there's there's a pr price to be paid for not getting ahead of that curve. And so we encourage all of our schools to engage with students earlier. Uh, there are challenges coming up, of course, with uh, fewer students taking standardized tests. Nailed it. Uh, changes being made to the name availability. Nailed it. Uh, the SAT in particular uh, and ACT following them about, you know, not sharing certain names of yep. students who take, you know, in school tests. So there's a lot of transformation in the industry going on and, and new sources of how those names come to the school are coming to light and people are creating new resources. So it's all about adaptation, Joe. And uh, mm. I yeah. like that adaptation. I like that, right? Yeah, that's a good word. And, and you know, one of the way if you actually go to the beginning of a customer or a student journey map and you think about website, this is another part of your presentation. You kind of laid out some key points on what makes a good website. Can you just do a quick review for us? You know, I'm listening right now. How, how do I judge? How do I judge my website? First of all, how do I even know if I have a good website? Do I should I do a competitive analysis? Should I should I compare my website to other higher ed institutions or should I compare my website to other, you know, marketing type institutions or banking institutions? How do, where do I start and what do I really need in a website giving me three to five things that I should think about when I have a website, when I have a website, my website that I already have? So that was a great setup, Joe. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of things to think about. First and foremost, I think so many college websites look the same. I gave my example so of, of Monsters University by Pixar, creating monsters.edu. It was a lampoon of a typical higher ed website. Reese's did the same thing because they all look so similar that they were able to lampoon them and, and reproduce a higher ed website in a parody way. And in a way, we parried ourselves by looking so similar. So, you know, what's some way you can... Uh, tune up your, your site design to make it look a little bit differentiated. Number two, I think it's a storytelling device. The website needs to tell a story quickly. It needs to mm -hmm. tell the student and family, how are you unique? Explain that to me. Um, university of Iowa, for example, comes right out with saying, we're the writing university. Think about that, a comprehensive university that has every major in the world, has on their website, we're the writing university. It's, and that's a strength that they're leaning on. So yeah. what strength can you lean on to lead with? Another great thing I'll say is that uh, it kind of needs to be like a Michael Mann film, mm. right? That establishing shot, L.A., you know, establish where you are. What part of this great country do you, do you call home and do you own? And should students know? Like to say, oh, we're, yeah. we're here. Um, this is our location. This is what we look like. This website is coming, is, is going to tell you a story about this institution. 
And just some other quick things, mobile experience, really important. 65% of students are surfing university websites on a mobile device. Uh, content needs to be short, needs to be clear, needs to be well-written at approximately an eighth grade level mm -hmm. um, to help people get through really quickly. And, uh, you know, finally- Some people, some, some people, and I would say some people in academy go, but wait, we're higher education. Damn it. Oh, wait, can I say that? Can I say? Uh, uh, I, I think I have to put the explicit note on this now. But we're higher education, damn it. And we need to write academically on our website. We need students to see the depth and rigor of our of our explanations. And and no, you your student needs to read like three words and understand exactly what the heck you're trying to say. So you say eighth grade level and academy always goes, no, we that, that's dumbing our message down. No, actually, it's making it possible for a student to understand it. That is a really interesting dichotomy we have in higher ed, isn't it? It really is. And it's just about having not dumb language, but simple language that's yeah. clear and allows people to follow instructions and, and understand what you're trying to say. Another important point I want to make, Joe, is that telling students what is the next thing they have to do. When you, when oh, you, good when point. You, when you go to a page What's the next action you want me to take? Where should I go to next? Don't give me a dead end. Give me, yeah. Let me flow to something else. Give me an experience that flows, that allows you to convey that story. Um, if there's an admissions page, what's the next thing you want me to do? If I've looked at my major page, what's the next thing I should look at if I'm still interested in? Don't leave any dead ends. Yeah. That's the key. Do not leave dead ends. You know, that's it's why they created the green bar. It, you know, it's like... You know, when you go through, fill out your health forms before you go to the doctor and the green bar says you're 50% done, you're 75% done because people will typically click out of things. They need to know that there's a, they're, that they're being moved along to an endpoint. If you leave them hanging, they're just going to hang. And then you're going to be left going, we had all these people visit the website and we have no inquiries. So this is a really funny world we live in right now when it comes to higher ed marketing and sales, which we don't say sales often enough in higher education, in my opinion, I like to say it, but people don't like me saying it sometimes. But I also say anything I want to say because this is my podcast. It's a whole tautology, you know, it's like a loop. Anyway, getting back to the point, we, we have to say what it is. We have to market to students. We have to sell them on a program. And you cannot do that if you don't have the right partners. What do you offer at Spark 451 that can help schools get to the next level? So we offer, we offer a number of things, Joe. Um, first and foremost, we have an enrollment strategy group um, of experienced admissions and marketing professionals and organizations who have worked in higher ed. They can solve any enrollment admissions challenge from student search, identifying students early as sophomores, juniors, uh, and nurturing them all the way through to the application and enrollment process when they're seniors, to working with graduate programs, bringing in a class for that, through digital marketing, through list building, through direct marketing, um, all sorts of nurture activity, every type of content creation to serve these campaigns from video to writing to even publications, Joe, believe it or not. I believe print, it. Print publications are still being produced. Really? And we have this pretty uh, awesome dedicated staff of designers who does awesome work in that area. So we have the capability of helping a school solve its enrollment problems and do it in a very brand oriented, 
storytelling um, and, and positive way that's going to help students understand that there's value there and that there's a future for them at that institution and something that's real. Most importantly, Mike, and, and I want to kind of take us full circle from where we started this episode, almost like a, a student journey map. And coming back to the first time you were on the Edip Experience podcast and you had a colleague named Steve with you, uh, if I, I don't remember his last name exactly. Steve, Steve Kirsch. Uh, yes. And um, in the episode that the two of you recorded, he, uh, I, he, he said a few things, Mike, about you. And now he's not here today because I heard that you, you did not want him here. I don't know if that's true or not. But, but is there anything you want to say to Steve right now? Shout out to you, Steve, by the way. Anything, anything you want to say to Steve? Since we have an open mic. First of all, Steve is my best friend and uh, my business partner. So he's he's an awesome individual who I love very much. Good setup. Um, but I will say that uh, he is highly opinionated. Mm -hmm. He thinks he's never wrong. Um, and he has a way of, of, of feeling that he never should be doubted. <laughs> to his credit. He is right a lot of the time, but, but when he's wrong, he will never admit it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know what, if you go back, uh, I first met Mike and Steve at Jen's bar, a jam. I got a chance to record with them in one of the funnier episodes of, in the entirety of, uh, of the Edip Experience podcast, uh, range of episodes we've done. In fact, I listened to it twice, which I don't actually go back and listen to a lot of the episodes, but because of the exchange, it was so funny, but it was very meaningful and it gave you some perspective on what Spark 451 can do uh, for your school in terms of the experts that they provide, the insights, and the differences of opinion, which only make us better. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, let me bring him back to the mic one more time. Here he is. He's Mike McGetrick. He's Principal Creative and Interactive Service at Spark 451. Mike, thanks for coming back. Thanks, Joe. It's been a pleasure, as always. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just ed-upped. <laughs>